As you have heard me say before, I listen to soundtrack music when I write my sermons. And a lot of times I think of a soundtrack when I walk into a church or when I get ready to preach, and that's born identity. Why? It's fitting. Listen to the music in this passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you know that you're in a war? For real, this is, there's a war going on. But in reality, this music is not the kind of music we should be thinking of. Scripturally, yes, we should think of the warfare that we have, but really is the next song. And take a look at this. This is from Independence Day. Because listen, according to this book, we have won, amen? We have won. We have been raised with Christ. We are seated with him. We are in Christ. The battle has won. So in reality, I walk around, and my confidence is in him and what he has done. So if you see me walk around like this, with a smile on my face, even in a bad day, this is the kind of music in my head. Because what Christ has done. Thank you for the cool music. But there is a battle going on. And we don't have to walk around with born identity in your head going, where, where is every, where's, where's the bad guys? We walk in confidence, amen? Be made strong in the power of his might, not our own. So important to walk in, so important to know. But life isn't that easy. I may not always have Independence Day, Will Smith music cranking in my head. How many of you ever have lost a battle? Remember the difference between battles and wars? How many of you struggle and have ever lost a battle? Wow, there's a lot of liars. So then raise your other hand because that means you're losing that battle. It's hard. This week I lost a battle. I made a wager. And for me it wasn't that bad of a wager because I said whoever wins, the other group has to wear something. And for me, you know, it's not too bad because I own this hat. Thank you, Meryl, for helping me with getting a hat, too. I mean, but if this was a bear's hat, oh, the, I, oh then it would start on fire or something else. But, so I lost a battle. To me, no big deal. They used to be my third favorite team. Remember, the Packers, number one. Second favorite team, whoever plays against the Bears. And then my third favorite team, the Seahawks. But now after last Thursday, they're not my third. They're probably my eighth favorite team. Uh, <laughs> or something like that. I can take the hit. I can take the hit. Because it's just a game. It's just football. In real life, when I lose battles, oh, it's hard. Oh, I feel like a failure. But you know what? I can take the hit. Why? Because that's just a battle. The war has been won. Amen? There is victory in Christ Christ. Period. And that's what this passage is all about. We need to see beyond the circumstances and the battle and know that the ultimate victory is in Christ. Amen? The 
this is one of the greatest chapters, greatest sections in Scripture. I say that about every part of the Bible, rightfully so. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We'd like to get a Bible. And if you look at the next slide here, we have the passage summary on top. Someone needs a Bible back there. Of all this, it's be made strong by putting on, and then there's different virtues we put on, that he uses the metaphor of armor, so that we may stand firm. And it's interesting that these things that we put on are virtues, the first part. In fact, if you have the bulletin that you were given, you have a handout that came with it. Marcus, can I grab yours for a second so I can show everyone? Please get this out. It looks like this. If you have one of these, great. If you don't, raise your hand. We have some extras or share with your neighbor. Even though we're in a school, it's okay to look at your neighbor's sheet today. In fact, could you move to the next slide for me? And I just, I think I have it up here. Yes. Now, what's interesting about this passage, and this is a sentence diagram. When I work on a passage, I kind of look at the modifiers. I look at the prepositional phrases, see what goes with what and what's connected with what. If you take a look at your sheet here, you'll notice that the main thrust, as a boy, I thought the main thrust was, give me the cool armor so I can fight against the bad, evil guys. That's what I thought the passage was about. That's why I love this one. It was cool. I get my little slingshot out and do some cool things and think of Ephesians 6. When really, he exhorts us, be made strong. Take a look at your sentence diagram here, the handout. Be made strong, and the means is putting on. The purpose, so that, the reason, there's an enemy, so that we can stand, and the goal, stand firm. Stand firm how? By putting on these things. And we're going to look at just the first four, and I find it interesting that if you take a look at the ones, it's stand firm then by harnessing the belt of truth, putting on righteousness. Take a look at those words. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, and faith. Can you go back to the slide just prior to that? Thank you. It's interesting if you see these words here that these Virtues, these four words are key terms to our salvation. These are key terms to the Christian life and the new covenant. These are words of our life. So there's two aspects. One, these are Christian essentials, these four words. Without these, I wouldn't be a Christian. In relation to with and in Christ. In who I am, these words connect me in my relationship to, with, and in Christ. That's foundational. Christ protects us. So in this war, in this battle, I am protected by Christ. I'm in Christ, I'm with Christ, I'm connected to him. And these four words are huge aspects of that. Yet, Not only are these Christian principles that are foundational to who I am as a Christian, they're also an aspect of how we are to live. So as you see up here, it says, our relationship calls us to reflect 
the character of Christ. Not only do these words are connected with who I am as a Christian, they're also words that, because of my relationship with him, I'm called to reflect these words. And that's what this passage is about. These are all gifts from the Lord, but mainly these first four are virtues. They're qualities of character that we exercise. And if you don't see that, go back to the sentence diagram, and you'll see that these are qualities that we need to exercise, that we put on, we do something about, to stand firm in these evil days. These are four words that God does to us first, but they're a reflection of the relationship that we have. These are the Christian traits of war, and they have divine power. Very powerful. As I've worked on this, you've heard me say this before, my goal was, well, let me just do a sermon on spiritual warfare. We're into our sixth or seventh sermon on spiritual warfare. Part of it is because I don't want to be a pastor. I remember one time sitting, years ago, sitting and someone preached, and I went, man, he was a great preacher. But all he did was give truth statements. I don't want to be someone that just goes, hey, here's some truth. I dictate to you, and here you go. Write it down. Here's some truth statements, and carry on. No. I want to have you say, well, how does this affect my life, and how do I live it out? There's got to be application. I, so that's why I'm kind of taking it slow and going down. So let's take a look at these. Take a look at the next one here. Let's look at this passage here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Verse 11, Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. He says this again. So that, again, that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Now we're on verse 14. Stand firm then by, says this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What is he saying here? Got it on the top here. Stand firm by buckle or harnessing on, putting on truth. How do we stand firm? We harness this onto our life. You know what's great? This is how the Messiah dresses for war. This passage, again, when we see this passage as a little boy on the flannel graph, the little church I went to, they had the Roman soldier, all this stuff. This passage is all about how the Messiah and how the Lord fought for his people in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11, verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness, truth, the the sash around his waist. This is how the Messiah dresses. This is great. Put on the armor of God. It's his armor that we put on. So the first one is truth. When I think about this, what does this weapon counter? God gives us weapons to counter something that the enemy has. Our weapons match, outdo them. They're divine, they're powerful. So what does it counter? 
What does it come against? We are fighting against lies. For Satan is the father of lies. He is all about deception. The devil loves to bring deception about who God is and to God's people. And one of his great deceptions to us is, you're not free. You have to work this off. Oh, this salvation that you had by grace also has some stuff that you have to do. You better be religious. You better look nice and sharp and clean and comb your hair right. And legalism can so easily slip into the church where the devil is like, oh, Jesus is the only way, but you should also do this. Our weapon as a Christian essential is that truth is a reality. And that comes against the world's ideology. In fact, it's common today, if you go to any secular campus, the world will state, the only truth is that there is no truth. Isn't that ridiculous? The only truth is there is no absolute truth. We live in that day. Oh, I have discussions with with people all the time. Well, you can believe what you want. There really isn't. What's true for you is true, great. But what's true for me is fine. I believe that I take this car battery, take a drill, mm, put a hole in it, and I drink it. It won't hurt me at all because to me, I firmly believe that it's Mountain Dew. That person not only is an idiot and will hurt himself, but is deceived. I'm so grateful that as a weapon, the Christian essential is there is truth. And we stand firm on the word of God. Amen. But here in this passage... It's not the Christian essential we're talking about. We're talking about a virtue, a weapon that we ourselves put on. We are guarded by God's truth. He has given us his truth. But this is something that we put on. Stand firm by harnessing on truth. Our weapon is a virtue, and it is integrity. Someone of great character. The truth that's granted to us at salvation is truth we need to live out daily. So what's the weapon? Truth. It's a virtue. What does it look like today? My friend who passed away a few weeks ago at his funeral, one of his best friends gave this example of his life. And it's interesting that at his church they couldn't have the funeral there because it would be too small because they thought many people will show up. So they went to one of the largest churches here in town and they even had to get chairs in the hallway for all the people that came. And many of these people were not church people. Because he lived this aspect out. A man of integrity and character and truth and right. He would go hunting way up in the high hunt. I guess there's a high hunt around here. I'm not sure. There's different seasons, but there's a high hunt in the Cascades. And he would go, since the the 50s, he would go hunting. Even when he was 73, he went by himself because his friend couldn't make it. Years ago, he went hunting, and on the way back, they saw a beautiful rifle where their car was. There was looked like a bunch of guys 
had a big camper or something because there was a, a Polaroid. I guess it was a few years ago. A Polaroid of all the guys next to the camper, but they couldn't see the license plate. They're like, look at this beautiful rifle. Wow, what a blessing. He took the rifle and called the Department of Natural Resources, called the Forest Service, called the ranger, said, hey, I found this rifle. I got this photo. Please let me know. Called every agency connected with hunting. If someone says they lost a rifle, let them know. And he put it up in his attic. The next year they went hunting and they were coming back and they were tired. They shot some deer and they had to bring it all the way back. And soon came some richer people with horses because horses are, can carry the meat better. And they were coming down, his one friend, look at that guy. And he was like, oh, that looks like the guy in the picture. So Jerry says, hey, did you guys hunt here last year? Yeah, we did. Oh, okay. Did you guys lose anything? And one goes, oh, you bet I lost them. I lost my best rifle. It was a beautiful rifle. And he goes, oh, why well, have that rifle? It's sitting up in my attic. Would you like it? And the guy was like, what? Living that kind of a lifestyle, true and right and moral, can impact the world in profound ways. And it was evident with this guy, even after his death, many heard the message of Jesus Christ. What kind of lifestyle do you have? Is it true? Is it upright? Take a look at the bottom here. It says, we are made strong in the Lord by doing what is true and right so we can stand in these evil days against our spiritual enemies. Be true. Be right. Your coworker might drive you nuts. Your coworker might convince you to do the shortcut, but that's not the right way. Do what is true and right. And that's how we fight battle. Let's look at the next one. The, the next weapon on this list is standing firm by putting on the breastplate of righteousness in place. Or as I boiled it down here, stand firm by putting on righteousness. Again, this is how the Lord, Yahweh, the mighty warrior, dresses for battle. Have it up here, Isaiah fifty nine seventeen. He will put on righteousness as his breastplate. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He will put on the garments of vengeance and wrap himself in zeal as in a cloak. Why? Because sin has penetrated the people. The people of Israel were chosen, set apart, but they keep failing. And because of their failures, because of their giving up on God and in turning to idols, turning to falsehood, a lot of problems came. In fact, the problem, as we'll see as we get back into Isaiah, they were taken over by another people. They are all guilty, and how does God respond to the situation? How does he respond? By putting armor of righteousness. Look at this passage. He puts this on, and vengeance, vengeance he comes to save his people. Love that passage. Christ has won for us today. God saves his people. Amen? God comes and saves. So we are to put on this weaponry. We are to put on, stand firm by, putting on righteousness. Well, what is this weapon counter? Again, 
you don't have a weapon that just goes against nothing. You have a weapon that counteracts the enemy. We fight against, which is the opposite of righteousness, wickedness. And you can look through Scripture and find so many aspects of the enemy and wickedness and how cunning he is and how wicked he is. There are many verses that describe Satan's actions. One is found in Revelation 12. So turn here, and I want you to stay in this little section here. Revelation 12. Revelation 12, I'm going to start with verse 9 here. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So Revelation chapter 12, now verse 10. Because we're gonna, it's going to say, not the devil, but let's just use a pronoun here. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, go to the middle of it. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. He is the accuser in this passage here. Satan wants to bring accusations against us to the Lord. If you don't believe me, turn to the book of Job. Chapter 1, he's the accuser. But to us, do you know how he accuses us? Doubt. Doubt. Worry. You're not a child of God. Look at that great sin you just committed. Oh, you're in trouble now. Oh, why would God choose someone like you? You have no faith. You're weak. You're worthless. Satan is the great accuser. You're not a child of God. God will not protect you. See that sickness you have? God must be against you. Oh, You have no real status before him. In fact, you need to start looking better as a Christian. You need to start doing these things to make yourself look right. And then we jump into legalism again. To fight against the wickedness of the devil, our weapon is righteousness. See, Satan accuses. He's great at that. But God approves. I love this verse because I love Romans 8. Romans 8.33 says this. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. Satan is not an accuser. He tries, but he can't not. When God chooses, no one can bring a charge against them. So as a Christian essential, take a look at the next one. As a Christian essential, this is important. There is a righteousness of God, a right standing before him. I am covered, I am clothed in his righteousness. As a Christian essential, I have this. You have this if you're a child of God. We are clothed in his righteousness. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are found in Christ. When God looks at me, he doesn't look at my righteousness. No. He looks at the righteousness of Christ. I'm clothed in Christ. I'm found in Christ. Salvation has come. This Christian essential is also 
a great weapon. Let's go back to this passage in Revelation. This section here is one of my favorite verses on spiritual warfare. Verse 10. Let me read the full thing. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. Salvation has come, amen? Then he talks about the accuser, 11, 12, 11. Etch this into your memory. This is how the people engage with war. The first thing, and they overcame him. Okay, here it is. How do you overcome the devil? Number one, by the blood of the lamb. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. As a Christian essential, what is the weapon that we have? The weapon is very simple. Always remember this. The cross is the weapon. It's not just a weapon. It is the weapon. It is the weapon. The blood of the lamb, the righteous salvation, that is the ultimate weapon we have. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Praise God. In the battle against the enemy, even in the book of Revelation, what's the first weapon? How do they overcome him? By the blood of the lamb. Whenever the word blood shows up in Scripture, it primarily is understood to be death. So when you see the word blood, it means something, someone died. In the Old Testament, the Passover was all a foreshadowing to get ready so the people were ready for all the blood of the Lamb found in Christ. I love this out of this. Clinton Arnold says this, The proclamation of the gospel represents a major assault on the kingdom of Satan. By his work on the cross, Jesus has bound the strong man so that now God's people can plunder the possessions of the strong man. Matthew 12, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. That is, free the captives from Satan's name by announcing the good news of God's salvation. That is our weapon, the cross. That's why I'm a freak about the cross. It is what's brought me freedom. I've been made alive. I've been seated. I've been rescued by the king. The accusations may come, but I'm under the blood. This is a Christian essential. But this is not what this passage is talking about in Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. In Ephesians, this is talking about a virtue. Here, righteousness is a virtue, something that we put on. God has put on righteousness on us because of the cross, but this is something that we put on. Our weapon is the virtue of righteousness. It is right conduct. It is doing what is right, morally upright, morally good. This is the weapon that we have. This is how we live. Now, this may seem weird, like, how is this a weapon? Well, there's so many passages I talk about. Micah 6.8, famous passage. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To, what does it say? To act justly. Same word, righteous. To be righteous, to act justly. And to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Living a just life is the greatest 
weapon that we have because it reflects the beauty of his righteousness. Or 2 Corinthians 6, 7. In truthful speech and in the power of God with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left hand. Think of that. That's a weapon. Truthful speech in the power of God. We are to live upright and consistent with the new life we have in Christ. Take a look at the next couple verses here. Ephesians 4, 24. And put on the new self. I love, this is the same kind of words here that is used in this. Put on these weapons. Prior to this, the same words are used. Put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to put on this righteousness. Live out this holy life. Or Ephesians 5, 8 through 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. My body armor is living this way. This is how I live. This is how we are to live as children of the Lord. We are to live righteous and upright lives. This is pure religion. You know an interesting verse, if you take a look at this? James, if you can find the book quickly, James chapter 1, the last verse. This is one that I remember when I was in seminary studying doctrine, studying great theological concepts of God and his holiness and his might and all the different aspects of theology. And I got so caught up in theology going, this is how I'm going to live my whole life, just thinking theological terms and living in the ivory tower. And I remember coming to this verse going, whoa. James chapter 1, 27. Listen to this. Religion that our... God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this. This is what God accepts as pure religion. You ready for this? Great doctrinal standings in your statement of faith of your church should be just spot on, reflecting all aspects of the holy counsel of God. It doesn't say that. This is what God accepts as pure religion. Ready for this? Here we go to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Wow. What kind of life do you live? Do you have this aspect of living righteously, your upright life? I'm trying to institute that to my kids as much as I can. In fact, this gentleman who passed away, his wife is just busy. She's cleaning out the house, trying to sell the house. So I said, you know what, I'll come and help out. In fact, I thought, I'm going to get my daughter involved in this. Not so she can get busy, because I find it interesting that my kids enjoy cleaning other people's houses more than they like cleaning our house, but all you parents know how that works. But this is pure religion, caring for those in need, orphans, widows. And don't get polluted by the world. Live righteously. Live in a manner that you walk in purity. Because if you do not walk in purity, if you do not walk righteously, you are open for the attack of the enemy. I have a friend who went through a divorce. 
And he's like, why is this all happening to me? Why is all this chaos? My kids now hate me, all these struggles. And I just go, dude, think of your life in pornography. Think of your life the way your eyes were. Think of your attitude. Think of, you stepped away from pure living. You stepped away from righteousness, man, living this out. No wonder the enemy came and has done all he can to destroy you. This is a weapon. We are made strong in the Lord by living righteously so we can stand in these evil days against our spiritual enemies. Live righteously. Now the third weapon on our list. Take a look at the next one here. Stand firm by preparing with the gospel of peace. Fitting your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Once again, we have a reference to Isaiah. Here it's Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings of salvation, who say to Zion, our God reigns. What does this weapon counter? What does it come against? We fight against the opposite of peace is enmity, opposition, discord, What's the opposite of peace? All these things that the enemy is about. I find it that this is almost an oxymoron to me when I read this. A weapon of peace? Oh, that doesn't make sense. How can peace be a weapon? That's like saying good grief. Can grief be good? Hmm. In Christ with the school of suffering, oh, there can be good grief. I'll take the larger half of that cake. Well, if it's a half a cake, well, that doesn't make sense. How can peace be a weapon? Our weapon, as a Christian essential, is the peace that Christ brought. Amen? This is an essential. So go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look, this is great. Ephesians chapter 2, let's start with verse 14. Fourteen. Ephesians 2.14 For he himself is our peace who made the two one and has destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations his purpose was to create for himself one new man out of the two thus making peace and in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Peace! It's a Christian essential that we have. Christ has come and brought harmony. But in this passage, we have a virtue. We need to be ready for two types of action. What kind of virtue do we live out here? Two types of action, I believe in this. Our weapon, number one, is a virtue, and this is preparing. It's a virtue that prepares us for the gospel of peace. One, it's preparatory. Take a look at this passage. It's get yourself ready, fitting on, preparing on. Get ready. Before the war, can you imagine just go, right now let's go to war? No, you train for months. You get ready. You prepare. I prepared a lot this summer for a lot of the trips. 
Imagine if we just did a trip. We did that trip to Mount St. Helens. We had 12 people with us, I think it was. Can you imagine just going that morning? Oh, let's go. Just grab a Snickers candy bar and a bottle of water and ready to go. That would have been crazy. You need to prepare. Don't worry, I don't do those kind of trips. We always bring sunblock now. We made the mistake one time. You've got to prepare. It takes time. For the days of evil are coming. The days of evil are coming. How are we to prepare? The gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. I am ready to go onto his territory. I'm ready to fight the enemy with the message of peace. The message of peace. Let me be real with you here. This battle that we're in is not just, I'm not choosing to be in the battle. I don't feel called to that battle. That's, I, I think you haven't heard the call. We're all called to be in this battle. So it's not, I'm just going to stay at home and take it easy. I'm not ready. You know what? In fact, I want to play it safe in this war. I want to I take it easy. No, that's not how we do this. Safety is found in this battle. Wherever the degree of danger is, greater is his degree of safety. Amen? There is danger. And in this war that we go in, we go as an agent of peace. Everywhere I go, when I think of talking with people, sharing the gospel, I think the cross is all that it is. Thank you, Lord. And I go in peace. In fact, last week when I stepped around outside, stepped out there, I realized I was an outsider. Number one, I was taller than all of them. I was like, I'll show you basketball. Yeah, right. Number one, I'm a different color. Number two, I say out and about in a boat, and they don't say it like that around here. I pronounce Oregon the way it's spelled, you know, not the way you guys kind of mess it up. But I'm different. I'm all dressed up like this preppy guy, and they're out there sweating. And But I go as an agent of peace. And I walk in that. I prepare myself to bring peace. The footing helps us stand the ground and maintain your stand. I stand firm in peace. So what happens if in Kitsap County this next week, let's say some police officers shoot someone and what happened in St. Louis happens here. Chaos happens. Destruction. Everything's going crazy. And you're like, I knew this would happen. What are we to do? We're to be prepared in peace. And I tell you what, church, if something like that happens, we are going to gather together and we're going to walk the streets and show the peace of Christ that breaks down barriers. Amen? This is how we prepare. We have the gospel of peace. Number two, First is, it's we prepare. I think it's on the next slide here. We prepare. And the other part is, our weapon is a virtue that is the proclamation of the gospel of peace. This gospel is the gospel message. Not a different gospel, but the good news that my life has been freed and the enemy is defeated. In fact, when I deal with spiritual warfare, as you've heard many stories, and I've got more that I don't need to share because I'm not here to give Satan any glory. But whenever someone calls us, listen, there's some demons here. We got something going on. We got some serious issues. We need help. Help us. You know what? I walk in the gospel of peace, and I walk in there knowing I've been freed, and Satan, you have been defeated. Really, this war is going to be simple. 
I bring the gospel of peace. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I'm ready to announce the gospel of peace. In fact, let's do this. We have a little time. Could someone go get the kids and say, Sunday school's over, please come in. Pastor Cody has something for you. Recently, and then, Tim, can you get that table? And the reason I'm doing this right now is because I want you to pray for me because I'm going to be doing this to the players outside this, maybe today or next week because guess what, summer's over and it's going to rain. They won't be out there often, will they? No. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, with getting my family and they were, let's put this right up here if this works. Allie, can I get that uh, tape? Oh, perfect. I was waiting for my family. They're like, we're coming. Let's meet somewhere where I was coming from a different part of Belfair. They were coming from a different area. Let's meet in Belfair. And guess what? There's a Dairy Queen there. So like, meet us at Dairy Queen. I said, great. Awesome. Let's meet at Dairy Queen. So I pull up and they're like 20 minutes away. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, ooh, is Dairy Queen closed? My kids will cry all night. Oh, that's no big deal. So I, I walk up and I'm like, oh, it looks. And the people in there go, oh, oh come, come. They're like, this. They're like, oh, we're not closed because no one's in there. I'm like, what's going on here? So the guy opens the door and goes, Oh, we're not closed. Oh, but we are to you. Do you know why? Because I had a Packers hat on. This is weeks ago. This is weeks ago. Because they knew the tension was coming. I was like, what? And they were, they were two young guys. They were laughing. I'm like, oh. And I said, hey, I understand your animosity. I said, congratulations. Congratulations. You finally got a Super Bowl. And I go through all my lines. Yeah. It, Maybe someday you'll be a team owner. Like we own the team. Maybe someday instead of some rich guy owning, you'll, and I start saying all these one-liners that I have that many of you have heard before. Maybe you'll be a title town like us. You find, oh, you finally got one. Welcome to the club. And they're just like, they were stunned by all these lines I was giving. They're like, they were like, you're right. Meryl's like, no, he's not. <laughs> In two minutes, I had these two guys, they were like, I said, well, I'm going to wait for my family. He says, good, because we're going to go down Google and have some rebuttals for you. <laughs> they got smartphones. And I waited for my family. And then I finally came with my family. I opened the door. They're like, pull out the red carpet for this guy. This guy's awesome. Because they're like, we have no rebuttals. Hey, kids, come on up here. Why don't you guys sit on the floor here? They said, we got, we got no rebuttals for you. You're awesome. And I'm like, you guys are too gullible. Come on. And I said, come on up here, guys. Sit on the floor. Little kids and all those in between. Why don't you guys sit up here? You guys can face me. Turn, sit. There's my daughter like, what's going on here? So these guys are like, oh, yeah, you're great. And I'm like, come on, guys. You got anything for the Seahawks? Oh, what you said is so true. Maybe someday. And and I said, well, there's the day coming. And yes, where's that hat? The day came, and I'm going to have to go back to Dairy Queen and talk to these guys again. Yeah, okay. Sit down, guys. I got something to tell you. So we had our ice cream, and I was praying, saying, Lord, I want to bring the gospel of peace here right now. How can I do that? So these two guys had a little break, and they had their little ice cream, and they're sitting in the corner. So I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. So I walked up to them. I said, guys, pretend these are the guys. Are there more kids coming? Have them come. John, you can have them come. Excellent. I said, all right. In fact, Ed, can you grab my cheese head to make this a little bit more appropriate here? I knew I would get Ed to grab the cheese somehow. 
So I sat down and I said, boys, can I tell you a story? And they're like, sure, you're awesome, man. I said, yes, I am. I'm a Packers fan, of course. Didn't say that out loud. I said, all right, let me tell you a story. I said, one time, and I'm going to tell you guys a story. One time, there was a Packers fan and a Seahawks fan. And they were doing their own thing, and a horrible accident happened. And guess what happened? The Packers fan died. And the Seahawks fan died. This is just a made-up story, okay? So don't, don't cry yet, all right? Okay. So they both died. And they were going up to heaven. Do-do-do-do-do, floating up to heaven. This is just a made-up story. I don't think we float up to heaven, taking our time. As they're going up, angels are flying around, handing out tickets to heaven. So, this is how I played it, too. Just so you know, the Seahawks fan got a ticket to heaven. He's like, oh, thank you. And the angel's going around, and the angels are gone. And they're still going up to heaven, But the Packers fan didn't get a ticket to heaven. I tell you what, Packers fan, they can get pretty upset. Trust me. He's like, what? How come you got a ticket and I didn't? He goes, I don't know. I just got a ticket to heaven. And the Packers fan, because they're so convincing, said this. Listen, could you give me just a part of your ticket to heaven? And because Seahawks fans are nice and generous and calm and kind, right? Yeah, okay, good, thank you. At least three of you are. Okay. He said, all right, I will give you part of my ticket. So he took the ticket and said, here you go, Packers fan. Now the Packers fan looked at the ticket and said, look how little mine is. At least it's the right color. Okay, it looks like cheese. But why is mine so little and you're so big? That's not fair. We're almost to heaven. Please just give me a little bit more of your ticket. So at least I'll say, "Look look at my ticket. It's really nice. So the Seahawks fan, because he was nice, said, okay, I'll just tear it a little bit more so it looks like the ticket. And uh, you can kind of put it together. There's your ticket, and there's my ticket. He was all happy, like, oh, great. Finally gets to go to heaven. So they get to heaven, and as they get to the gates, the Seahawks fan, oh, you have a ticket? Come on in. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And then the angel looked at the Packers fan and said, Oh, I've got a ticket. He said, No, you can't go in. Oh, I've got a ticket. No, you can't go in. Why? And at this time, because Packers, they drink a lot of beer because it's Milwaukee and that whole area, you know, just it's the way it is. He got really upset and said some words that were not nice. And the angel said, Calm down. Calm down. Let's see what your ticket says. So the angel got the man to calm down, and they, on the ground, got the ticket and said, all right, let's take a look. And at this time, he looks at the Seahawks fan, and he was mad. He was like, how come you get to go to heaven, and I don't? So they, this Packers fan wasn't the best speller, or wasn't good at it, or well at it. Which one is it? Okay, one of those things. So he gets out this ticket, and he starts getting this out, and they get on the streets of gold, because in heaven, there's streets of gold. So they get spelling out, and this guy gets this. Sorry, this is taking a little bit longer than I thought. And he spells out the ticket. He's like, I got a ticket. I should go to heaven. Take a look at my ticket. This thing gets me to heaven. Well, the angel says, let's take a look at your ticket. What does it spell? And they spell out his ticket, and it spells... What does that say? Anybody? Can you read that? Hell. Oh, you thought the Packer fan knew how to swear. When he saw this, he was like, what? No way. That's no fair. How come I I don't get to go to hell? 
But the I did the Seahawks fan. He looks at the Seahawks fan and goes, what's so cool about your ticket that makes you go to heaven? And the Seahawks fan says, I don't know. Well, what does your ticket say? I was told that I just had to believe in Jesus Christ and the gospel of peace. So he opened up his ticket, and his ticket is what? What is this? A cross. Now the Packers fan really flipped out. He was like, what is so big about the cross that makes you go to heaven that I don't? So the Seahawks man, in his gentle, kind, calm way, right, said, well, let me tell you the story of the cross. You see, when Jesus was crucified, at the same time that he was crucified, there were also two others crucified. There were two thieves on the, next to him. And when he was crucified, they took dice and gambled for his clothing. They threw dice and gambled for his clothing. They put a sign above his head that said, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And they also had a spear to spear him in his side when the time would come. But when he was crucified, there was two others. Now, one of the thieves, who was really, really bad, he was a horrible criminal, this guy said to Jesus, if you're really God, save us. Save yourself. Show yourself that you are this mighty God and save us all. Let's do it. He was mocking God, just like the rest of the crowd was. But this thief, he did not mock God. He looked at him and said, what are you saying? Don't you know who this is? This is truly the Son of God. So this thief said, remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus turned and said, first help old ladies across the street, go to church, pay a lot of money to the church, be really nice. No, it's not our good works that get us to heaven. It's belief in him and trust in him. And this man trusted Christ. So the question is, which ticket do you hold? The one that you trust Christ or the one when you don't, it leads you somewhere else? So my encouragement to you is believe in Christ because he brings peace. Amen? Amen. Church, we have a message, a gospel of peace. It is the great weapon in a day of disunity, in a day when the church is being torn apart, and many avenues of the church are being fought against to take about part what Christ has done. He came to bring peace. Would you live in that kind of a weapon? And would you trust the cross? Let's pray.